You're listening to Midori House, first broadcast on the 3rd of January, 2019, on Monocle 24. Hello and welcome to Midori House, coming to you live from Studio One here in London. I'm Daniel Bage. On today's show... Well, we have to wait and see what happens with the Mueller report. Uh, We shouldn't be impeaching for a political reason, and we shouldn't avoid impeachment for a political reason. So we just have to see how it comes. Congress is back and the Democrats now rule the House, with Nancy Pelosi once again taking up the role of Speaker. And she's not hiding the fact Donald Trump will be under fire on a number of fronts. Plus, we'll look ahead to the 2020 election and who might be on the ticket for the Democrats. My guests Kathleen Burke and Phil Clark will be discussing this and the day's other top stories, including long-awaited and delayed elections are taking place in the Democratic Republic of the Congo. We take a closer look at the end of the six-decade rule of the Kabila dynasty. All that plus China heads to the dark side of the moon. That's all to come on Midori House here with me, Daniel Bache. So welcome to Midori House. My guests today are Kathleen Burke, Professor of Modern and Contemporary History at the University College London, and Phil Clark, Reader in Comparative and International Politics at SOAS. Welcome both to the program. We begin today in Washington, where roll call is taking place at this hour for the 116th Congress with veteran Democrat politician Nancy Pelosi set to be sworn in as Speaker of the U.S. House of Representatives. The appointment represents a shift in the dynamic of U.S. politics with the Democrats having regained control of the House after November's midterm elections, of course. It's not the first time the 78-year-old Pelosi has taken up the position. She held the same role, the first female to do so, from 2007 to 2011, a much different political climate then, of course. So how will her tenor affect the shape of things to come in Washington? Kathleen, perhaps we'll start with you here. Even before Ms. Pelosi was elected speaker, she gave an interview yesterday to NBC suggesting that a sitting president could be indicted in relation to the Mueller inquiry, of course. Is this an indication there will be uh, no holding back in investigating Donald Trump going forward? Well, no. I mean, uh, what she actually happened is is to say is not to say that they will. It's to say it's it's not impossible that it might happen, mm. which is a bit different. It was I think that was exaggerated a little bit in the press. But what else is new? Um, she's quite right to say. In fact, she's quite right to assert, and I hope she really means it, this is not a political issue. Um, There have been two impeachments in American history, one Andrew Johnson, uh, uh, Abraham Lincoln's successor, and then, of course, Bill Clinton. Uh, Neither was actually convicted in the Senate, Mm. I feel I should point out. Uh, So in that sense, uh, it uh, it, uh, ventilated an awful lot of of partisan anger and even hatred. But at the end of the day, it didn't do anything. And of course, Nixon resigned before he could be impeached. So just because he might be impeached in the House, it will probably go no further because the Senate is controlled by Republicans. I want to come back to that in a a moment and specifically talk about the Bill Clinton example, perhaps. But uh, if we 
we look ahead to what's on uh, Pelosi's plate right now, uh, looking at the, the front page of the New York Times here, uh, it says same gavel, but whole new challenge for Pelosi. This is, uh, Kathleen, a com- completely different political climate than uh, the last time she held the job. Well, the last time she held the job, it was under Obama, of course. Uh, and then she lost the job because Obama, well, because the Democrats lost control of the House of Representatives. So in that sense, it wasn't anything she did. It was because she was in the, the sweep uh, Democratic uh, uh, destruction of the Democratic House. What the thing about about Pelosi is that she doesn't talk a big talk. She is a consummate politician. She grew up in Baltimore, where her father was was uh, mayor, and she knows everything about about uh, holding phone calls, about talking to people, about uh, convincing them, about trading favors, about all the sorts of things that politicians who accomplish things actually have to do. So I think that she's powerful not just because she's uh, got back. Mm. Did she get back? Because why? Because they know she is incredibly good. So it doesn't really matter. I mean, uh, it doesn't really matter what, uh, prof- uh, what President Trump says about her. It doesn't really matter what people outside Congress say about her because she controls it right now. Mm. Uh, well, in that interview we alluded to, uh, she did uh, she did talk about being a negotiator and and how she might be able to work with Donald Trump. Uh, something that uh, isn't that easy for anyone to do. So we'll see how how that goes over this time. But uh, Phil, well before today, Democrats indicated they'll be looking uh, to investigate the president <coughs> on a number of fronts, as we've said, and through several committees as well. Is there risk? do you think, for the Democrats in putting all their eggs in one basket in in going after Donald Trump? Yes, and I I think the big danger here is that both parties could just get massively distracted by by this whole set of controversy around Trump and the the wall and the government shutdown. And, you know, what we see at the moment is an American political system that is uh, completely in a state of stasis, uh, Mm. that this state has to get up and running again. Basic government functioning seems absolutely top of the agenda at the moment. And and I think that's a message both for Republicans and Democrats. So while there are these big uh, political controversies to be fought, that the daily running of government surely has to be the, the top priority and both parties need to get on with that. Which is why, in fact, uh, she is being so clever because they are producing two Democratic bills uh, which say we can fund uh, most of the government until June, we can fund Homeland Security, and there is money in Homeland Security for a fence not a wall, but a fence. So what's Trump going to say? I don't want a fence. I want a wall when half of it is a fence already. So she has she has cleverly backed him into a corner, which in a way that only his base could actually support. They, the Democrats, she says, they are going to facilitate the running of government in a bipartisan matter. matter. They've made an offer to Trump. How can he possibly refuse it? Well, Pelosi has said there will be sort of no negotiating on going back to that $5.6 billion figure, I think it is, that, that Trump wants. Um, uh, do, you, do you consider this uh, shutdown? Do you think it's going to continue on for some time, Kathleen? Um, I think it's going to depend about the reaction from, from the base. Uh, an awful lot of people who aren't paid very much are getting paid nothing at all, mm. um, which is, again, why the Democrats are being clever, because they're saying, look, we're concerned about this, dot, 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 dot. Trump is only saying we're not having anything without the wall. Um, I think once a strong reaction comes back, he'll say, look, I've won. We've got this money for the fence, <laughs> you know, and then things will, will go in. I mean, he's he's not... 
so clever politically beyond you know raising the base, but he knows when his uh, when his uh, uh, not security, but when his uh, chances as president are are declining madly. So I think probably aha next fortnight. Okay. Well, I wonder if Trump will accept, in, in a sense, in, in being able to spin for his base uh, this, this idea of, of the, the border funding going to border security, because part of that's what it's earmarked for. But will he, will he, do you think, have to back down and sort of accept that, but still, still in the way that he does spin it as a victory? I think that's exactly what will happen. Mm-hmm. He will say, look what I did. The Democrats have now uh, uh, provided money for building a barrier. He will say, or I would say if I were him, uh, which uh, doesn't imply one or the other, but means it will keep all these appalling uh, rapists, uh, criminals and uh, Islamists out of our country. Phil, I just wanted to go back uh, into the investigations and, and, and what might be happening uh, beyond uh, the government shutdown. Which, let's hope that gets back up and running. But uh, in the days ahead, the Democrats, have, as we've said, have signaled that they want to go after Donald Trump. And, and the impeachment of Bill Clinton, I alluded to before, really backfired for the Republicans before. Do you think the Democrats have, have learned from history on that file? I, I think they have. There's been some, I think, really important statements by senior Democrats over the last couple of months, in essence, saying, look, let's let the Mueller investigate take its course. Mm. And in many ways, I think Pelosi was reinforcing that message uh, today, saying, at the moment, this is a legal investigation. Uh, It's very well developed. Lots and lots of suspects have already uh, been uh, interviewed. Uh, Lots of plea bargains have taken place. It looks like Mueller has a lot of uh, information uh, at his fingertips already. And so in many ways, the politicians don't have to get involved Mm. yet. And so I think Pelosi was playing this very smartly today. Um, I think the other thing that she's doing very intelligently, and I think Kathleen alluded to this already, is is using the government shutdown as an opportunity to marshal the, the Democrats in the House on, on some other key issues. Right. And, and we're seeing already that the piece has been put in place for a big House debate about uh, Medicare um, and a particular version of, of Medicare that in many ways goes far beyond what Obamacare did. And so uh, I think this goes back to uh, Kathleen's point that Pelosi is a very smart uh, political operator. She realises this is a good chance to let Trump blow off steam on this wall issue, but, but allow the Democrats to get their own house in order. Um, and, and this includes mobilising on this very important issue around uh, public health care. Mm. Uh, we'll uh, be revisiting U.S. politics a little bit later in the show, but I want to uh, just shift our uh, focus now to the Democratic Republic of the Congo, the nation in the midst of an election, its first actually democratic handover in over 59 years of government since it gained independence from Belgium in 1960. The DRC has been under the leadership of the Kabila dynasty. Laurent Kabila was assassinated by one of his own bodyguards back in 2001. And since then, his son, Joseph Kabila, has held the presidential office. The elections this week have been long delayed over the past two years and are indeed long overdue. But the process is not going smoothly. With only a trickle of votes having been counted since polling began on Sunday. The contest between uh, the main candidates uh, has been blighted by accusations of corruption, logistical problems, uh, factional conflicts, and an Ebola outbreak as well, affecting uh, many, many voters. Phil, uh, which way could this go right now? Is it is it 
on course or is it a really problematic election for you? It's very unclear. I mean, this is a really chaotic election, mm. even by Congolese standards. Um, I think the worry in Congo is that the government is using a set of very deliberate delays uh, to try to rig the vote in the background. Um, basically, what has happened is uh, Joseph Kabila has stepped down, but he's anointed a successor, Emmanuel Shadari. Shadari is desperately unpopular right across mm. the country. Um, and the fact that he's been way down in the polls leading up to this vote has increased these fears that the government would do all sorts of other things to try to rig the vote in his favour. Um, w- one of the big controversies in this election is it's the first time that Congo has used electronic voting machines. Um, so thousands of these machines have been wheeled out a- across the country, but the vast majority of them don't work. Um, and also suspiciously, uh, about two weeks ago, uh, most of these el- electronic voting machines uh, were destroyed in Kinshasa in a fire. Um, and, and Kinshasa, the capital, is one of the main opposition strongholds. And so that, along with several other factors, in fact, delayed the vote for one more week. So the fear this week is that the longer that the government takes to actually release the election results, the mm. greater the suspicion is going to increase that, that they're trying to fiddle the numbers in the background to ensure that, that Shadari, uh, Kabila's anointed successor, d- does in fact win. And, and what of this uh, Ebola outbreak I mentioned? What's the latest on that? And, and if people will be able to vote or not? Uh, in fact, that that element has been really exaggerated in in the international press. Mm. Um, And and in fact, this is another tactic that the government has used. Uh, They've claimed that because of Ebola in a a couple of locations in the east, uh, that the vote, in fact, has been delayed until March. Now, it just so happens that that those locations are some of the major sites of opposition support, uh, particularly uh, support for Martin Foyulu, who's leading up to this vote has has been the the number one candidate. Uh, He's been topping the polls by significant margins. Uh, Really, the, the equivalent would be in, in the US context if uh, a presidential election was held, but uh, New York City and California were not allowed to vote. Mm. Uh, that's what's going on in Congo at the moment. So this this Ebola issue is, is uh, in fact, uh, completely farcical. There has been Ebola in mm. uh, parts of the East recently, but day-to-day life has been going on in those parts of Congo. People have been going to the marketplace, they've been going to church. There's absolutely no reason why they couldn't vote. Mm. Uh, Kathleen, in, in, in this uh, day and age, you know, even in, in the US and, and uh, big democratic countries, you know, we've had allegations of, of vote rigging and, and, and election tampering, but how do, how do we measure a free and fair election, especially when we're talking about Africa in 2019, do you think? Well, the opposition would measure it by if they won, of course. Mm. And the one problem is if those two opposition uh, areas then vote madly for Falulu, mm. um, or if they or actually, no, the other way around, if they can't vote, then the uh, uh, the uh, government can say, well, look, we won. Look at the vote amounts. You know, we won fairly and squarely because here are the votes. So in that sense, uh, the government can't lose, I don't think. Um the thing is, is that democracy is organic. Mm. You know, it grew in this country from, you know, uh, Simon de Montfort, you know, in the 13th century. And uh, in, in the United States from the beginning and in, in France from, you know, uh, after the revolution. And saying, right, you're democratic now because you have elections. Uh, there isn't the in the bones feeling that this is the thing to do. I mean, obviously, it, it, it it's happened in, in India, for example. But in an area that has not very good communications, roads with the, which are dirt paths, as far as I can tell, um, uh, phones that work and then don't work and so forth, it's very difficult. And I think, I think um, that expectations 
can't be too high. One almost thinks if people don't get killed, that's an advantage when you think it's what happened in the, mm. the, the previous elections in the DRC. And in fact, I think that's exactly the donor's view. It, it's been interesting to look at all of the international election observers. They've been very quiet this week. Yeah. And I think the, the reason for that, I mean, they are very worried about a lot of the irregularities around this vote, but they're worried that if they come out too critically ab about this election, it will inflame tensions. And we may see the kind of violence that we saw in 2006 and, and 2011 around the Congolese elections. Well, some of the, uh, the issues here uh, have been seen thematically in other elections recently in Africa as well, seemingly similar problems. But in the Congo, uh, it's a massive nation as well. That's, that's one thing that's not often talk about, talked about. If, if you put it on, uh, you know, on a map of the United States, it would take up almost a third of the U.S. mainland. This is a massive country. Is that part of the issue as well? It, it is. And, and this is why there are lots of regional concerns. Mm. I mean, Congo neighbors 10 states. Um, all of those uh, countries are worried that if we see the kind of violence and instability that has surrounded Congolese elections in the past, um, violence increases and then you tend to get the mass displacement of the population into those neighbouring countries. So, you know, countries like Rwanda, Burundi, Angola in particular are, are watching this extremely closely. Um, one thing that does have to be said is that, in fact, Kabila has stepped down, right. um, which is quite remarkable if you put it in the context of regional politics. Uh, most presidents in this region have clung to power. Uh, we've seen Museveni in Uganda, we've seen uh, Kagame in Rwanda, for example, overstay their welcome and often change the constitutions uh, to do so. Kabila, in fact, after much international pressure over uh, two years, and that's the length of the election mm. delay, in fact, did step down. So, so that is progress of, of a sort. The fear, though, is that he has simply anointed Shadari and Kabila will, in, uh, in fact, stay in the background, you know, pulling some of the shots, a kind of Putin Medvedev sort of situation. Yes. So progress of a sort, but with some caveats as well. Do you see that happening there, Kathleen? Does that make sense to you? Well, Putin was what struck uh, came to mind. You know, he stepped down. Oh, yes, he stepped down. And Medeev had his four years, and then Putin is back. It's. Uh, I'll be interested to see, uh, I mean, I don't know to what extent Phil thinks that the same thing is going to happen. Um, because, after all, Shadouri was his interior minister, was he not? A uh, fairly ferocious man, uh, doesn't have a lot of sympathy. Um, and currently under EU sanctions as well, that's it should right. be said. So, so in that sense, uh, you could say that Kabila doesn't have so much to worry about unless, and Phil will know this if it's the case, Shadouri is busy building his own his own organization, in which case Kabila might uh, hmm. think this is possibly a bad idea. Phil, we mentioned the, the, the 10 states that border uh, the DRC, but what about outside Africa? What's at stake for, for some of the big global players and who do you think is watching closely here? A, a lot of international companies are watching this very hmm. closely, particularly in the mining sector. Um, one of the things that Kabila did towards the end of his presidency was to completely rewrite the rules uh, hmm. about international investment. Um, in fact, this was, I think, uh, a lot long overdue move. Um, he, for a change, added some fairly major taxation uh, to international mining interest in Congo, increasing state revenue. Um, there has been a lot of pressure on both Kabila and Shadari to change their tune on that. Um, and so we have this paradox of inside Congo, much of the population wanting to see change. A huge amount of support, both for Fayulu in particular, also for Felix Shishikedi, one of the other opposition leaders. But externally, international business interests 
interest really want the status quo. They're seen inside Congo as, in fact, one of the major problems. International business interests are seen as overly conservative, tending to back the incumbent. Um, and so a big difference here between international and domestic opinion. Hmm. Well, a very interesting one uh, that we certainly will be watching here on Monocle 24. You are listening to Midori House here with me, Daniel Bage, Phil Clark and Kathleen Burke. Coming up next, more from Washington. Stay tuned. Tired of seeing the same few tedious tourist haunts? Well, the Monocle Travel Guide series has stopped off in 30-plus cities and counting in order to dispense advice on travelling like a local. From the finest spot in which to sip a cocktail with a contact, work up a sweat, or take a dip, our comprehensive Travel Guide series are packed with tips, essays, and tidbits for getting the very best from your destination. Monocle's Travel Guide series is published by Gestalten. We've recently added Mexico City and Zurich, Basel, and Geneva to the library, with Athens and Helsinki coming soon, and guides to Chicago and Hamburg following early next year. The Monocle Travel Guide series. Cities are fun. Let's explore. Still with me, Phil Clark and Kathleen Burke. As we discussed earlier, the new term for the House of Representatives begins in Washington today, but many of America's most prominent politicians will already be looking ahead to 2020 when the nation heads to the polls again to elect a new president or to keep the one they already have. This week, Democrat Elizabeth Warren has declared she will run for president, and there are similar noises coming out of the camps from the likes of Bernie Sanders and even Joe Biden, a crew with 222 years of political experience between them. That's 220 years more than Donald Trump. Uh, some see the over-familiar faces of the Democrats' old guards, uh, Kathleen, as being a hindrance rather than uh, positive in the upcoming contest. Is, is it time for some fresh thinking, do you think? Well, if you look at the age, mm. I mean, uh, uh, Biden is 76, uh, Bernie Sanders is 79. I can't quite remember, but something on that order, you know. And the question is, I mean, that's older than Ronald Reagan. Mm. Uh, the question is, would they actually survive uh, uh, that long? A, it's not, it's that begin like, to be like the Politburo in the old days where they were all about 86 and, and on, but no one wanted to leave. Um, the new ones, the new ones do rate from about, from the late 30s to the early 50s. And uh, the question of whether you change uh, change a generation is, is a live one. Um, I have my own candidates that I think are, are likely, uh, more likely than, than uh, Mr. Biden or, mm. or uh, uh, Elizabeth Warren, I must say. Uh, what Elizabeth Warren is going to do is break the logjam. Now that she's done it, a whole rush of other candidates are going to come in. Mm. I think, in a sense, everyone everyone was waiting to see who who started it, but I think she'll get trampled in the rush. Hmm, interesting. Uh, well, Phil, almost as if on cue, a scandal has erupted surrounding Bernie Sanders, where he's facing accusations of sexism and sexual harassment by aides who worked on the 2016 presidential campaign. Uh, will he weather this storm? Do you think? Does he carry on? I think he'll carry on, yeah. if only because he built so much momentum right. at, at the last election. But but this sort of thing is damaging, yeah. um, particularly if you're someone like Sanders who relies so heavily on grassroots mobilization, mm. uh, particularly amongst young people. This is the kind of scandal that, that can taint someone like him. Um, and he seems to have been a little bit slow in the last couple of days yeah. to respond to these accusations, uh, almost saying, look, I've got a much higher agenda around economic reform, uh, trying to hamstring corporate interest, et cetera, et cetera. You know, this kind 
kind of sex scandal stuff is too grubby for, for my mm. liking. That seems to be his message. But I think that's foolhardy. I, right. I think in this day and age, you have to nip that kind of scandal in the bud so that you can play politics at a, at a higher level. It was very strange, wasn't it? Just a, a slight comment on that. I mean, first place he said, well, I was too busy flying around the country organizing things. I didn't no, no one told me it was happening. But secondly, someone at some point must tell me why these male political operatives think that they can do it and get away with it when they're dealing with female political operatives who know all about the media. Mm. I mean, just think about that. It's not exactly you know, trying to do it in front of a, of a screen or, or a big window, but it's, it does make one wonder about the political nous of some mm. of these so-called top political operators. Well, Phil, you mentioned uh, the, sort of the grassroots momentum and how that helped Sanders in the past. But in 2020, several states uh, will be, in fact, ditching uh, caucuses, uh, which tend to uh, benefit candidates with smaller but more vocal bases of support. Now, a number of states in which Hillary Clinton failed to win support in 2016 will hold primaries instead in 2020. Um, Kathleen, do you, does that hurt uh, Bernie Sanders? And who does it help, do you think? Well, it helps people that, especially Kamala Harris, because mm. California has moved from June to March and will now have a, a huge impact on, uh, in, in, instead of just sort of bringing up the rare and really often not having any anything to do with it at all. Uh, it will help people who have wider constituencies, I mm. suspect, because if if it's not a primary where you go, I mean, there are people who have claimed they shook every hand in Iowa and shook every hand in New Hampshire. I'm sure Phil and I have both hold the, uh, heard these claims. But if you can't do that, if it's really back to wholesale politics instead of retail politics, that will help people who have, have, uh, have more money, who already have a lot of media exposure, because... <sighs> Well, in a sense, one hardly knows. But I do think that that primaries also mean that everyone votes, theoretically, and caucuses, that's usually just the activists. Mm. And activists are vocal, but they aren't often numerous. Phil, there's been a number of politicians on the Democratic side, uh, younger, on the younger side of things, that that have been, uh, you know, making a big impact in recent months. Do you see any of them stepping up? Uh, Beto O'Rourke is one. Uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez is another. Should these type of people be running? I'm not sh- <clears throat> not sure they will run yeah. in the sense that, that they're so new yeah. <laughs> to, to the terrain, it, it seems too risky. But they do represent a sea change within the Democratic Party itself. Right. And I think this is also reflective in this scandal around Sanders. It's a sense of, look, Sanders, for, for all of this progressive politics that he's engendered, is still very white, a very male, a very mm. old school version of the Democratic Party, if you like, which seems out of step with exactly those candidates that you've mentioned, particularly Ocasio, you know, mm. seems to represent, you know, uh, people of Hispanic background and, and other non-Caucasian backgrounds, youth on their side. It's going to be really fascinating to watch the Democratic Party navigate that internal divide um, over things like age and, and, and the type of politics that they've been practicing. But also who can aff- who, it, who can ha- present a bipartisan front. Mm. You, uh, the problem with a lot of the more ferocious progressives is that one cannot see them appealing to you know, moderate Republicans. And those votes are going to be had, have to be had. I mean, on the whole, winners in American politics are those who can, who can cross the divide. And so I think there's going to be something of a civil war through through these primaries in the Democratic Mm. Party just to see who, at least temporarily, owns the party. I imagine there will be a number of fascinating uh, races to watch. Uh, I want to just move lastly and finally uh, to... 
China, a Chinese spacecraft, has landed on the dark side of the moon today. At some of the play-by-play, the scene at the China National Space Administration's Mission Control as the Chang'e 4 module touched down in a crater on the less explored side of the rock where China hopes to take samples of the terrain and mineral composition of the landscape there. The dark side of the moon has been beguiling in a mysterious trope in popular culture, so what else might be hiding there? And I should point out the dark side is one way of describing what the far side of the moon is, which does get both sun and dark, but uh, uh, it's the side you can't see from Earth. So, uh, Phil, uh, far side of the moon, did this grab your attention at all today? It was hard to avoid it. I mean, I think as Pink Floyd said, all of the moon is dark. So to call this the dark side is obviously a bit of of a misnomer. But, uh, I mean, a couple of things sprung to mind. I mean, my goodness, I don't know how this will play with the American public, a decent percentage of which seems to doubt that uh, the US landed on the moon in the 60s. So if if that's still being contested, what on earth are they going to make of, of China landing on the moon. But the, the the other thing that caught my attention was there was a statement put out by something called the United Nations Office of Outer Space Affairs, okay. UN- UNUSA, uh, who knew that this existed. Um, but their statement was twofold. They, they wanted to reinforce um, a, a, a statute that the UN had signed in 1979 which states that, uh, firstly, no one owns the moon. Right. So they were just saying to China, look, we just need to underscore that. Um, and the second thing was that the moon should only be used for, for peaceful purposes. Right. So, uh, so the UN weighing in big time on, on this China issue. Uh, Kathleen, is this a major statement from Beijing, do you think? Are they trying to compete with uh, the U.S. and, and Russia? Of course they are. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm less uh, 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 optimistic about what's going on. Um, I mean, China has made made it clear beforehand that she wants to militarize space. She, made, she has made it clear that she sees the moon and the asteroids as the South China Sea. In other words, ought to be under her control. Um, there's uh, it's there are a lot of, of minerals and so forth which would give a lot of wealth there's also uh, ability to capture helium 3 which doesn't ring most bells for most people <laughs> but not only uh, hold on not only does it provide a lot of energy and china is energy deficient but also you can use it to help make nuclear bombs Oh, well, there's something interesting uh, interesting there. Uh, NASA is banned from working with China, I un- as I understand it. But, uh, Phil, certainly they'll be watching this mission closely and what they can, what they can learn from China. No, no doubt, um, for all of the reasons that Kathleen has mentioned, but, but also out of an idea of national pride. Uh, so much of uh, America's identity, especially in the last 30 or 40 years, has been bound up in an idea of its technological superiority. Mm. And space has been a playground where it's been able to exert this, this kind of self-perception, if you like. And this has been directly challenged by China in the last 24 hours. Mm. Remember what Sputnik uh, generated. Uh, all of a sudden, uh, the Americans found that the Russians were ahead of them. And what does happen is that uh, Kennedy says, the new president in due course, uh, in a couple of years' time, says the Americans will get to the moon first. Hmm.
Well said, uh, and that does bring us to the end of today's show. Kathleen Burke and Phil Clark, thank you for joining us here at Midori House. Today's show produced by Tom Hall, research by Daphne Carnesis and Nick Moniz. Our studio manager was Christy Evans. There is more music next than at 1900 Hours. It is The Urbanist with Andrew Tuck. And join us tomorrow at midday London time for the briefing with all the day's top stories. Midori House back at the same time tomorrow 1800 London time with me, Daniel Bache. Thank you so much for listening and goodbye. All that you touch and all that you see, all that you taste, all you feel and all that you love.